Welcome to the Small Groups in the Wesleyan Way podcast, where we are all about going beyond programs, beyond best practices, and beyond curriculum to recover and learn from our Wesleyan roots and to explore the foundations for small groups that produce disciples of Jesus Christ who in turn disciple others. My name is Scott Hughes and I'm the Director of Adult Discipleship. And I'm Steve Manskar, Director of Wesleyan Leadership. I guess we should say at Discipleship Ministries. <laughs> at Discipleship Ministries. <laughs> we should clarify, I guess. Yeah, that'd be good. Well, we, Of the United Methodist Church. Yeah, absolutely. That's So we are continuing our spring training theme. Um, oftentimes in spring training, what happens is they bring back players who are recently retired and they become special instructors. And, and sometimes we need that focused attention on a particular area. And today we are inviting a special instructor to come in and, and help us with something that on the service might seem peripheral or secondary, but I think we both would agree is of utmost importance. Absolutely. Yes, it is. So today we're going to be talking with Melanie Gordon, and we're going to be talking specifically about small groups, child care, and safe sanctuaries. And she is a guru in that area. I'm going to let uh, Steve give you a little further introduction to her, and then we'll jump right to the interview. Uh, yes, Melanie Melanie Gordon is the Director of Ministry with Children here at Discipleship Ministry. Um, Melanie is a, uh, the author of uh, author with um, Susan Grossclose and uh, Gail Quay of the recently published Growing Everyday Disciples, Covenant Discipleship I've with heard Children. That's good stuff. It's an excellent book. It's a companion to my book, Disciples Making Disciples, and yep. uh, Chris Wilterdink, who we'll be talking with in a future um, podcast on um, Everyday Disciples, Covenant Discipleship with right. Youth. Well, Melanie, it is so great to have you as our special instructor today. Uh, I'm so excited about uh, this conversation because it's a very important conversation about small groups, child care, and safe sanctuaries. Uh, as somebody who's... Um, been in local church and done some stuff with safe sanctuaries and done some stuff with small groups. Um, I, I know sort of the back end of things and how um, it can become somewhat cumbersome, at least to think about. When we think about all the logistics that already go into small groups from uh, the recruitment of teachers, the training of teachers, the recruitment of people in the groups, where we're going to have the groups, what's going to happen in the groups, and then, oh yeah, there's this thing about child care, and then how do we uh, match that with our safe sanctuary policies, and, and I'm not a detailed person, and all of a sudden my head's about to explode. So, so help right. us out. Help out uh, small group leaders and and uh, the need for safe sanctuary policies. I'm going to kind of just throw a big ball of whatever to you there. Big ball of wax. Thank there, you. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for having me. I'm I'm very happy to be here with you all today. And safe sanctuaries, what, uh, there are a few things we need to remember and think about when we're thinking about safe sanctuaries. First of all, um, it is one of the ways that we lead people toward Christ. Yeah. If we look at our biblical mandate for safe sanctuaries from Matthew, we allow the children to, allow the children to come to me. Don't forbid them. Because the kingdom of heaven belongs to people like these children. And one of the ways that we live this out, and we don't separate children from Jesus, is that we make sure that we provide a space for them where they feel nurtured and safe, yeah. 
and where people care about their faith formation. And that's not just about doing the logistics. It is about how we live together, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's really good. Um, Yeah. Go ahead. Nope, you Um, go Well, and the second thing in that is our baptismal vows. Yes. Um, If we look at our baptismal vows and refer to um, the part that says, with God's help to so order our lives after the example of Christ, that we will surround each baptized person with steadfast love so that they may be established in the faith. And confirmed and strengthened in the way that leads to eternal to life eternal. And if we take these vows seriously, as we should, as we should, <laughs> um, then we are we are living into making sure that those that we have promised to nurture have a space where they are cared for, where they can grow in faith. That's right. In a in a space where they are loved and feel loved, and one of the ways that we offer love is through this social structure called safe sanctuaries. A lot of people think it's a book. And safe it, it is. Yeah, it, it is a book. <laughs> it is a book, um, and they think it's you know a set of rules. And yes, it's right. a set of rules. Um, they think it's about background checks. Yes, it's background checks. Part of it. But, but yep. really, what safe sanctuaries is is a social structure. Hmm. It, it enables healthy boundaries and accountability. And if we do this, the risk of abuse of children, youth, and older adults, vulnerable adults, anyone who is vulnerable, the risk of abuse just goes down tremendously. So if we look at it more of how we offer Christ's love to those who are vulnerable, um, it makes more sense for us. Yeah, that's that's really good and really helpful. Uh, one of the things I always tried to stress well, was uh, one of the things you did right was it lowers the the risk, but it uh, there's also then um, protection for those who are doing the caring. Absolutely, right? that it's Absolutely. not just about uh, the safety for the kids; it's also about those who are doing the. I'm going to say childcare for the moment. I, I think one of the things yeah. you pointed to is it's more than childcare, right? That that hopefully faith formation is happening there as well. Um, and so anything you want to speak to about that in terms of it's, you know, we live in a legal society, a lot of, uh, we can look at it that way, but I think you're right to press us that it's more than that. Yeah. One of the things, um, one of the questions that I get often is what is a vulnerable adult? Oh yeah, sure. I've had that question. Yeah. yeah. I'm I'm looking forward to your answer here. (laughs) Okay. I'm sure it's better than the one I gave. Let me let me make sure it's a good one then. The pressure is on. <laughs> right. um, so there there are a few categories of vulnerable adult. Um, one is of course someone who has um, a permanent um, disability of some of some sort, and um, that could be because of a medical issue very easily. Um, it could be because of um, Um, a cognitive ability. So we have to make sure that we are caring for um, adults who have um, these types of disabilities. And it could also be a a vulnerable adult is also someone who has um, a um, temporary disability. Scott, you you remember when you hurt your foot? Uh, Very, very well. (laughs) It made you a vulnerable adult. (laughs) (laughs) I certainly couldn't run very fast. I know that. Exactly. So 
in certain circumstances, we have to think about, is there something we need to adjust mm. so that you are cared for in particular situations in the church? And then that third category is the adult who is caring for others. Mm, okay. Because we live, like you said, in a legal society, we have to make sure that we are covering and protecting those who might be accused falsely. Right. Um, we know that this happens. It's happened in the past. So safe sanctuaries goes both ways. It protects those who are vulnerable because of age or because of stature um, and also those who are caring for those who are vulnerable. Yeah. So, so there are a lot of things that come into play there. Yeah, that's good. So I'm going to ask you some questions that, I, that I've had posed to me. Okay. Um, one of those questions, um, you know, a lot of small groups are, are doing in-home small groups, which is great. Good, good you know, I, I like that informal environment. But it, when child care comes into play, um, churches handle this in different ways. Some churches say, um, just handle this on your own. Uh, some churches um, will actually pay for the, the child care so they can do the background checks and they can do things to make sure that it aligns with their safe sanctuary policies. Uh, but I've had... Uh, people ask me, well, can't we just let our ki our older kids, our youth, watch the children? What would you say to that? Okay, so let's, let's take that step by step. <laughs> um, first of all, uh, we have a couple of things in our mandate um, on safe sanctuaries. One is that when there are children um, or young people, anyone who's vulnerable, uh, present, there has to be someone who's safe sanctuaries trained gotcha. there, present, whether it's in the home or in the church or whether we're off um, on mission, does not matter. Yeah. Um, and in that also, there needs to be a minimum of two non-related, non-cohabitating non right. oh, okay. yeah. adults with each group of children, whether it's one, two, Four, five, there have to be two non-related, yeah. non-cohabitating. We have to take that into consideration today um, because there are people who cohabit cohabitate and they are a family. Um, and also, uh, whoever is watching children or caring for children or youth, they have to be at least 18 years of age. Mm graduated from high school and at least five years older than the children and youth they are supervising. Right. Okay, so that's the formula that we use. And we use that for a few reasons. We have to make sure that people are old enough and mature enough to respond to crisis, yeah, basically. Um, that um, And also, we have to do background checks. The best way to do those background checks is through the church. Let the church handle all of that so that it's covered for all of our small groups, our mission opportunities, VBS, anything like that. And those background checks go back five years mm -hmm. for the first background check. You need to go back five years. And um, people say, well, they're 18, you know, for an 18 year old, five years, you know, you go back as far True. as you can. That is that is legal because okay. we do have issues of juvenile system. 
Wow, interesting. I, did, I didn't know that part of it, so that's helpful. Yeah, that's very interesting. Cool. So uh, I've, I've kind of taken this a step further. I've, you know, I've watched sort of people's heads spin once they learn all these policies and got to have this yes. and you got to have this. And then they, they come back with, well, why don't we just, we'll just let our kids go upstairs and play. Right, we're have nobody supervise them. <laughs> Somehow becomes the better answer, right? It's it's logistically so much cleaner. Just to let them go upstairs and play. Um, so I'm throwing that out to you. What, what's your response? Absolutely. And also, my responses are purely U.S. sponsors, United States um, okay. responses, because it's different in different countries. Mm-hmm. If um, if we were in Sweden, that would be okay. Interesting. Yes, it would be absolutely okay, but we are not in Sweden. <laughs> um, nope. We are in the in the U.S., and we have certain standards of care for our children. Um, and there, there are a few things to to remember: is that because of these standards of care, we want to make sure that there are um, a trained adults with our children. We can't just send them up to the room or down the hall to the nursery because there are nice, wonderful toys in there. And of course, it's so easy when we're having meetings because that's a space where they can um, run and be engaged and do things. But we know that things happen. Stuff happens. Things happen. That's right. So we want to make sure that they are well supervised. They can play freely. But we want there to be adult supervision um, with them. And some of this, you know, can be solved by where do we send the children or Mm -hmm. where where are the children during this time? If your meeting is in one part of the building, the last thing you want to do is to send children to another side of the building. Yeah, I've been there. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Work it out so that um, so that they are in close proximity, especially when there's no one else in the building. Um, and you can have also one person with them and one person roaming. Okay, that, so that satisfies that, is, that. Yeah, that's perfectly acceptable if you have someone who's just kind of walking the hall and keeping an eye out. And this is for a couple of reasons, because abuse can happen. And also, if there's an emergency, you have a second adult there um, to take care of it. Yeah, no, that, that's really good. Really good advice. All right, so I'm, I'm going to stop quizzing you with uh, questions that I've heard. I'm, I'm going to kind of throw it out to you for a second and say, what, what other recommendations, what other best practices have you heard of that you would lend to, to churches in their small group ministries? Well, first, first of all, um, don't let your safe sanctuaries policies and guidelines collect dust. Mm. So many churches will say, well, we have guidelines. And if you ask the question, well, where, where are they? Where do you keep them? Um, and you get this kind of, uh, well, um, I'm not sure. Mm. Um, and that to me is a signal that we're not doing, um, our training as we should. So we need to make sure that we keep up with training so that people who are going to do small groups know what has, what is going on with safe sanctuaries. They have the training themselves, or at least two people in the group have the training themselves and they're ready for um, when they start their small group. You don't want to have to go backtracking. That's the last thing you want to have to do. Um, Plan really well. You know, plan for 
any um, a type of situation that could happen. Um, which we don't like to think about. Which we don't. We really don't. Um, but when we think about it, you know what I find that usually happens when we plan really well, nothing happens. <laughs> when we don't plan really well, <laughs> the oh. worst happens. Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. So um, I think it's good to just be to just be prepared. Um, also think about your space. Um, are you going to be meeting in a classroom? Are you going to be meeting in a home? And what does that mean for preparation for children being present? If it's going to be in a private home, how is it set up for, for children to, to learn, um, to engage, to grow in faith? I mean, these are opportunities for, for children to be relational. So um, bring them together to learn from one another and to learn from, from the adults in the, um, in the space. So why not include them depending on what kind of small group um, opportunity you have? Yeah, and I want to I get to that in just a minute. Um, okay. I'm going to ask you another question. Um, who, who, who needs to do the Safe Sanctuary training? How often does that need to happen? Okay. Okay. Good question. And it's different in different um, congregations. So I, I suggest that you have your Christian education um, person, minister or director, to head this up. Okay. Um, if you don't have that person, anyone who is in charge of children, youth, and families should be that point person. Um, you want to make sure that your background checks are going through um, through the church, um, um, through SPRC, or through administrative staff, or I mean, I mean administrative um, team, or through um, trustees. Somehow, yeah. it needs to go through a body of the church. Um, so, because these are people that would need to know yeah. if there is something that's a red flag. Um, and the training should be done, um, at l a full training for anyone who is new. And then every year there should be another training, um, just a brush up on. Just a brush up. Okay. That's yeah. good to know. You don't I have to go through the full training every year and man, those people didn't like me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you probably, you, you know, it's good to have two tracks going on our newbies Okay. And people really feel like they need to do the training again. We don't get many of those. And then those who want to, to brush up, you also want may need to have a training if there's been an incident in your community. Mm. So think about if there's been an incident of abuse in the school system or in the um, community where your church sits or in the church community. That is a time when you need to bring people together to talk about, okay, here is the scenario, how do we respond? And are we prepared for something like this? So anytime there's an incident, and that's something people don't really think about, um, but that, that is one thing that is very important. Um, and if there's a, change, a big change in leadership, um, you might need to look at your policies again. Yeah. Yeah, you know, there's a few things that sort of strike me in that. I mean, one, if we have the policy and we're not following it, um, we become sort of extra guilty if something happens. Correct. And two, we never want to be that church where the incident happens, right? right? Because once it happens, that will spread like wildfire and 
you'll lose whatever credibility you have in the community. It's it's gone like that. Absolutely. Uh, so these these are really important. So I want to shift the conversation a little bit then. Okay. Because uh, one of the things you named earlier, I think, is is important, and I'm not sure a lot of people know how to do this and are sort of afraid to do this. And this, how do we do? Uh, if we're having a small group, how do we incorporate the kids into that? Yeah, I mean, there, the church community is one of the few places that we have left in society where we have all the generations together engaged. Right. Usually it's a spectator sport or, or something where everybody's together, um, but we're all engaged. We're all there for a common goal. Which is a unique opportunity. Exactly. So we need to really um, in, invest in, at looking at how we can be intergenerational more often. Small churches are very good at this. It's true. And they're very good at this because they have to be very good at this um, because they are, have um, very limited numbers of people in mm. their space. So they do everything together. Um, so... This is one of the times when I would say to people, um, turn to your small, smaller churches in the area to see how they are including children and youth and older adults and adults together. Um, and it depends on how you um, organize your small groups. What is the purpose of the group? Hmm. You know, that and what needs to be the purpose of our small group? So if your small group is about um, Bible study, okay. there's, there's no reason that this can't be intergenerational. There's no reason. Usually the kids know more than the adults know. Oh, ouch, ouch. Say it ain't so. This is what I've witnessed and heard. Um, nice. Yeah, so how do we, how do we create that space so that we can be engaged together, can go deeper in study together. And that would mean that um, it can't be lecture. <laughs> you know, it can't be lecture. Right. Uh, kids are going to say, you know, I don't need to be lectured to. Let's really get to the meat of it. Let's, let's talk about what's going on here. And they really do want to know. So how, if we're doing Bible study, do we take a story and make it and bring it alive. Yeah. You know, bring it to life for for everyone in the group. And you would be amazed at what children bring to that conversation. Yeah. They are deep, deep thinkers and they see things that we don't see anymore. That's right. That's right. And I think I'm gonna interject here just for a second. Um, sure. And that is they bring something to the table adults don't do well. And I think their gift is imagination. Imagination, absolutely. And, um, I, I, I did this with my small group uh, a couple months ago where it's kind of a modified godly play where I had them bring action figures or dolls or whatever they wanted to. And mm -hmm. we'd read a couple of stories in the Gospels and I'd have them play it out with their action figures. Absolutely. Right? Not, not brain surgery, right? But to, to watch them do it and, and be a part of it and then ask them questions. I got to kind of prod them and... And then just to kind of watch the adults just kind of overhear the conversation was mm -hmm. a lot of fun because you're right. Some of them had some answers that impressed the adults. Um, and so it doesn't have to be hard, right? No. It doesn't have to be, you know, we have to come up with all kind of creative things to, to do it. But it, it can be really fun to watch. Absolutely. Yeah. 
And I think it can be very, very um, motivating for adults to to want to go deeper and um, to open up the story in a different way for them um, and how it impacts their lives. And and also, you know, with children present in our small groups and I've I've heard um, my bishop talk about children present in in worship. And I think this applies to small groups is that when you have children present, you know that the church will live on Mm. because you're passing on your faith um, to them. You're sharing your faith with them and um, and they're sharing their faith with you. Um, And why would we want to not have these opportunities for our children and for ourselves? Yeah, it becomes a, a it becomes a real modeling opportunity. Absolutely. Where we're not just sort of verbally sharing, uh, although that may happen too. They get mm-hmm. to see it happen. They yeah. get to be a part of it. And yeah. I think that's super important. Well, this has been really, really helpful for me, um, and I'm sure for a lot of other people who are wrestling with their small groups and how do we um, do the childcare portion of that. Any mm-hmm. other uh, last tips you'd give us? Last words. words. Okay. Um, There, there are a few things to, to think about with safe sanctuaries is that there are lots of resources out there. Um, Take advantage of those. And many of them are also in Spanish. So please take advantage Mm -hmm. of those. There are also videos where if there's just one thing you want to learn about, you want to know about small practices, um, go to our website and, and look at that nine-minute video on best practices, and these will help you to remember those things that we should be doing to care for our children. Yeah, I actually went back and watched that yesterday, matter of fact, so I would recommend those. Um, We have a whole Safe Sanctuaries part of our uh, website that Melanie's put together. Melanie, how can people contact you if they've got more questions? Absolutely. Um, My email address is mgordon, G-O-R-D-O-N, at umcdiscipleship.org. Perfect. And I would highly recommend people to take advantage of the resources on our website and uh, with, with deeper questions, reach out to Melanie. She, she is the guru. She is the uh, special instructor. She is all those things and many more. So thank you, Melanie. I know you've, um, you've done a lot of good work here today and you do lots of good work all the time. So thank you for your work. Thanks, Scott. I appreciate you all having me here to um, talk about things that I love to do and a ministry that I love. And thank you also, Steve, um, for the invitation. Appreciate you both. Well, I think what Melanie gave us was extremely helpful. And and again, just to reiterate uh, some of the points that she made uh, when we come to looking at the, the care and the formation of our children, uh, these aren't secondary concerns to the life of the church or even to small group ministry, but, but are an extension of our baptismal call, an extension of our discipleship. And so I think they're extremely, this may be one of the most important podcasts I think we'll actually record is this one in, in some ways um, in terms of how it reflects how we're going to live out the mm-hmm. call of discipleship. One of the things that came to mind to extend this uh, spring training metaphor a little bit is um, when, we, when they bring in those spectral, special instructors, they, they focus on those fundamentals of, of hitting or pitching. And, you know, they don't spend a lot of time in spring training practicing the triple play, I wouldn't imagine, anyway. Probably not. Yeah. And, and, and so 
this is really important um, for, for helping us to incorporate children into the life of a small group. And it's important to, to, for us to model discipleship within a small group with our children. Well, absolutely. And, and well, to use another baseball metaphor. Please, yeah. The goal of baseball is to get as many players as possible safe at home. Yep. And the team works together to make that happen. And, you know, with the exception of the home run where a player makes gets himself home, the team works together uh, yeah. to, make sh- to, to try to get as many guys home safe as possible. Yep. So safe sanctuaries is the way the church works together okay. to make sure everybody is safe at home. Oh, interesting. Yeah, okay. I like that. Yeah, I, I think you're right to point out that it's it's a, a concern for the whole church. Yes. And, and it needs to be a conversation that doesn't just happen with the, the educational ministries or the small group ministries, uh, but is a part of the whole life. I think one of the one of the tips I would give churches, one of the best practices that I've seen in, in, in this regard, is to allow the church to take on the burden of recruiting and training and paying for the those who are in ministry with children. Yeah. Right? To, to take that on so that the small groups can kind of focus on what they do and focus on other logistics that come as part of that um, so that it can be kind of a blessing to the small groups to say, well, we'll t- carry this burden. You work on these other well, logistics. Well, plus the small group ministry is the ministry of the church. Yeah. Of the, congr- the whole congregation yeah, you know, and so it makes sense that the congregation would provide that infrastructure to make small groups work as well as possible. Yeah, and I, I think one of the things we'll probably explore in a future episode um, is is that way of thinking about small groups is not a, an additional program of the church, right? But making the church a church of small groups. Yes. So I'm, I'm sure at some point we'll get that there. That is the Wesleyan way. <laughs> that is the Wesleyan way. <laughs> Got to make sure and get that in there. Um, so I hope one of the things you'll do, our listeners will, will tweet us, email us, some of your best practices as it relates to safe sanctuaries, the formation of our children in small groups, and how those go together. Um, so please feel free to, to find us. You can find us on Twitter. Uh, Steve, or people, where can people find you on Twitter? Uh, my Twitter handle is at S Manskar, S M A N S K A R. And I'm, uh, I have two. One is at Rev, Rev Scott's Tweets, and the other is at UMC Adult Form. Uh, so feel, feel free to, to retweet our episodes when we put them out. Feel free to respond to us. Tell us what you like, what you don't like, what you disagree with, uh, what's been helpful to you. Uh, you can email us both. You can find our emails on our website at umcdiscipleship.org, uh, which is also where you can find lots of uh, resources from Melanie um, in regard to children's ministries and also, in particular, safe sanctuary resources. So make sure and, and find those. So we look forward to interacting with you. Until next time, peace. Small Groups in the Wesleyan Way podcast has been a production of Discipleship Ministries, an agency of the United Methodist Church. Visit all our podcasts at podcasts.umcdiscipleship.org.